Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. On today's show, we're so happy to welcome back our guest and friend, Lisa Campion, energy healer, Reiki master, practicing intuitive, psychic trainer, and author of a new book called Energy Healing for Empaths. Lisa, we're so excited to talk to you about your new work. Before we dive into this book, can you just tell us how you've been doing through these pandemic times and putting out a new book and everything going on with you? Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. It's so nice to be with you, Samantha and Denise. I'm I'm super pleased to be back on your on your beautiful podcast and talking to your people. And thank you for asking about me. I'm I'm doing pretty well. You know, I think it's a funny time for empaths because as difficult as it's been, I think there's a part of, of our empathic natures that's kind of like, woohoo, like we can stay home. We don't have to go anywhere. Like, you know, we can kind of like posse up with our little pot of people. And as an empath myself, I've had no trouble <laughs> with that part of things like not working in my office and everything has been, it's been, I think in a way life slowed down to what empaths really like. And the poor extroverts of the world are going mental, but for me, it's been, it's been um, a good time for that and a very productive time. So I've been writing and launching this new book and I'm doing pretty well. Thank you so much for asking. I'm glad to hear it. I felt that way the first few months of the pandemic. And then with everything else going on, it just, it really brought my energy down and made me anxious and angsty and stressed out. And, and I'm starting to feel hopeful that, you know, things are coming together now and Maybe yeah. we're settling into this happier shift astrologically that everyone's been talking about. Oh my about. God. Well, it has been a hard year, a very, very hard year for so for all of us. And uh, and I think the um, the downside of it for empaths is feeling all the um the intense suffering of the of the world. Um, you know, the global suffering and the the local suffering. I think that's been super challenging. And I, I've been working a lot with with myself and my students on kind of leveling up our our protection around the global, the world, like the collective consciousness energy, because it's just been so stressful and difficult and so much angst and pain and suffering on a planetary level that I think that has been truly challenging for sensitive people. But don't you also find that it's, we're having more of a direct link to that collective consciousness as we're coming together in unity, as we're raising our vibration. And I love, love, love what you said about, you know, empaths being happy to be home because I'm just the opposite and I'm getting a little angsty about the world opening up again and having Mm -hmm. to be social. So I think it's that balancing act for all of us, but (laughs) the collective stuff is off the chain right now. I know it totally is. And I've struggled myself with feeling like it's difficult for me to unplug from the collective. And what I have found is that plugging into the energy of the earth. So doing like a lot of grounding, a lot of shielding, plugging into the energy of the earth, and then, and then doing, I don't know, like prayer or I've been doing prayer circles and healing circles, Reiki circles to send healing energy out into the world, onto a globe, like into the collective, because I find that's the thing that makes me feel like I'm contributing. I've, I've had to like really unplug from the hive mind and flow the energy through prayer in a grounded way. And that's where I can f- tolerate it basically. Right? Exactly. It's, not, it's not making me like non-functional, non-functional, which for a while I had a couple of weeks where it was. It's been intense. Yeah. Is that sure. what inspired you to write this book? Um, you know, it's, this is the two things, um, the psychic stuff and the empath stuff is, uh, have always been really, you know, at the heart of my work. I feel like my work 
um, as a healer is to train psychics, healers, and empaths to fully step into their gifts because I think the world needs all the healers it can get and that we are being called right now. So many people are waking up to their psychic ability. They're they're on fire. They're they're having sudden psychic openings. They're tuning into the fact that they're sensitive. Their sensitivities are increasing. And in all of that, the call to do healing work, I think is really active in a lot of people. And I see that psychic healer empath as a lot of times the same person, like that, like that's all wrapped up in one person. And I think empaths have the gifts they make fantastic healers and I feel like part of also my solution to the problems of the world is like I want to train an army of healers <laughs> to go out into the world and and do all the healing work that we're called to do and so for you know it wasn't like that for me when I was discovering this kind of thing that for so long there was no vocabulary for empath there was no word for it there's no understanding for it there was just you're too sensitive stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about, <laughs> you know, and really struggled on my own to kind of figure out like, what was wrong with me? Like, why am I crazy? Am I like emotionally unstable? Like, what is this? What is this? And what do I do with it? And why, what's wrong with me? And over the years, I learned that it's really a gift. And I learned what I had to do to, which is a all about managing my energy in a more powerful way, in a more direct conscious way, so that I can take it from the curse into the gift. And then, um, you know, I, I, then I really wanted to, to help other people learn what I know and use the tools that I have, because I think I'm past suffer a lot until they learn these basic things. I love all those phrases, an army of healers and from a curse to a gift. That's fantastic. Let's start talking about energy vampires. How do you define them? And what are the three main types we need to look out for? Well, you know, I think that there, we can sort of broadly break down the people in the world into like people who are givers and people who are takers. You know, my friend Eileen McCusick calls them electron donors and electron stealers, which I think is is pretty true. fantastic. I know. Yeah. And so empaths tend to be the electron donors. We're the givers of the world. We, we, are, we are healers. We have generous hearts. We have a sole purpose of helping, healing, caretaking. Um, and then we, we tend to go into relation because this is a world of polarity. This planet is polarized and the opposite end of the pole are the takers. And I think there's sort of like, there's normal versions of that, that, that aren't a problem. Like they're just people that are more. And we, we can kind of swap out the word energy vampire with narcissist, if you like, um, because it's it's a very uh, common, it's a very similar set of characters or another way to look at it. Psychologists call them narcissists, psychics and metaphysicians and healers call them energy vampires, you know, sort of the same person. And those people are drawn to us a lot because I think we need healing. We have those electrons to donate and they need healing and we're healers. On the extreme level is where this gets to be a problem, you know, when you get people that are in sort of like general, sort of garden variety narcissists, we meet them all the time. And then there's like narcissistic personality disorder, which is beginning to be a problem. Then we cross the line into like psychopaths, you know, which is severely a problem and even sociopaths, which is like the end of the train over there, you know, on the opposite end of the, of the spectrum. And we... I think there's something about like the more how we meet people on the opposite ends of our spectrum. So the more sensitive empaths are, the more likely they are to encounter their opposite on the other end of the spectrum. There can be a purpose for this that can be beautiful. And when we come into contact with each other, narcissists and energy vampires have an opportunity to heal, have an opportunity to learn empathy, 
to open their hearts, right? To take a few steps down the spectrum towards us, towards the empaths, which would be really, really good for them to bring them into balance. And we also have an opportunity. They, they will force us by hook or by crook to create better boundaries for ourselves, to be more like in the middle of the spectrum, there's a point that psychologists call healthy narcissism, which I just call having good self-esteem and good sense of self. And we as empaths need to take a step towards them and become self-aware, self-valuing, having better boundaries, choosing ourselves over others, which is really hard for us to do. And an encounter with an energy vampire will strengthen your boundaries or flatten you or steamroll you. And so we all have an opportunity there to heal. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, it really does. They are here to help us kind of sharpen our edges and soften yes. our edges at the same time as yes. we learn. Uh, Dr. Bud Harris calls it sacred selfishness. Yes. And I think about that term all that. the time. Yes, I love that. That's better than than healthy narcissism, but it it's the same same energy. So there's kind of this dance we have with with uh, energy vampires where there's potential healing and that does happen. It does. But then sometimes we get you know, we get to the other side of it where there's no possibility for healing or we, co we come in contact with the truly dangerous energy vampires, which would be the psychopaths and the sociopaths. And um, it's very, very common for empaths to fall victim to those people because we often like don't have a mean bone in our body. We don't think that way. We, we almost can't see it coming because it's so foreign to our way of being. Um, we always think about how other people feel we, before we say or, or do things. We always put ourselves in other people's shoes. And we often assume it, that people are gonna do that for us as well. That's what I call the predatory energy vampire. And they're really like, almost like a con artist. They shapeshift, they're super psychic. So they psychic out who, who, you, who they need to be for you to kind of fall for them or, or engage with them. And then they, without remorse, sadly, start sucking our energy, taking an energy can be your, your actual life force energy, your money, your time, you know, the gas in your car, the food in your fridge, your credit, <laughs> like anything that they can take, they will. And they, and they don't uh, feel bad about it. They feel they, they have the right to it in a way. And when we are drained or we finally figure it out and we say no, they kind of will cast you aside without any remorse and go find another uh, another person to do that to. And they're sometimes, they're, they're, we're like a supply. So we're like a source of energy, like a battery, right? For those kinds of people. And I think it's kind of rare. Like, I don't know what the percentage statistics are on people who are psychopaths, but we probably have encountered them. Have you, have you ladies in your life encountered somebody like that? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Okay. I think that there's more of them than than we even know, or that mm -hmm. even studies can reveal. I mean, what, what was that study where it was a very large percentage were CEOs and That's right. CEOs. Yeah. I would say maybe like a third, I, I sort of divide things metaphysically in my mind, like new soul, middle soul, and old soul and past are the old soul. So if we go with this theory, so, you know, take this with a grain of salt, but if we go with this theory that planet earth is nursery school planet for warrior souls, or fighters, you know, then we come here to learn compassion. Then the new souls on the planet, they're the narcissists, the energy vampires of the world. They want to acquire power, money, wealth. It's sort of like Game of Thrones down here for them. Who's going to get the iron, you know, the iron throne. And that's really sort of fun for them. They rack up a lot of karma. Sometimes they can be highly inventive, really bringing in new information or new material. Elon Musk in, falls in that category in my mind. Super new soul, but brilliant and contributing in a lot of ways to the planet. 
Then we have middle soul people where you sort of have to pay the bill for the karma you racked up in your your new soul days. And there's a lot of karmic reckoning that happens there and in, in dealing with sort of the other side of the shoe, shoes on the other foot. If you have, if you were a slave owner in your new soul days, you may be enslaved in your middle soul days as a choice, not punishment kind of karma, but as a choice to experience the other side. And that's really where we learn compassion. Why I think we learn compassion through suffering. And that's why there's so much suffering on the planet. Then we get gradually to old soul and old soul is the, are the empaths you know, where we really learned compassion very deeply and were in service to the world. And I found that model, which I wrote about in my book, very comforting in a way to me because it helps me understand people's behavior with less judgment, with less hatred or or without feeling victimized about it. And I have certainly been, you know, run over by by an energy vampire or two in my life. But understanding like, okay, you set a boundary with them because they're like in kindergarten, you know, and you don't let kindergarten, you don't give the kindergartners a box of matches. <laughs> like you have to hold the boundary. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? What do you ladies think? Does that make any sense to you? I do think that there can be older souls who are narcissists and just make that choice. Mm, yes. I think that we all play by our own board games, you know, and for some people it's monopoly all the time <laughs> and whatever they can, they're going to take. Mm. And I, I don't know, I've encountered some people that I feel they've been here many, many times. And each time they choose, you know, me, 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 that whole attitude of I'm going to get what I can get while I can get it. I don't think it's a uh, large percentage. I think in the majority, the way the the way you've simplified it is probably true. Mm. But I do think that there are some people who just will always choose to be a negative influence. And I kind of think in this world of duality, maybe our consciousness can't even conceive of of this, but possibly I feel some people kind of volunteer, Hey, I'll be the bad guy this time. I do think so. Yeah. Maybe some of these quote unquote bad people are actually really good souls and they're just playing a role on, on this stage of our development to help us grow. I don't know. That makes sense because if we're here to experience polarity, we have to play both ends of the game, right? We have to, right. We have to be, we have to have ex- deeply experienced being on the giving and receiving end of both ends of those spectrum there too, you know? And I also think they're sort of like the people of the light, you know, they, they come there, have not a mean bone in their body. They just come here to anchor the light. And then they're the people of the dark that do the same. They just come here to bring, and they could be here for many, many lifetimes, but they just come here to bring li- literally the fi- frequency of the darkness onto the planet to keep the, that polarized energy happening. Right. And I think the goal of, of we healers and empaths is to help everyone transcend that polarity. Mm. What do you think, Denise? I think that the polarity is so extreme right now. And how could we, as empaths, fully step into our power, our light, our purpose? We all contracted. We all agreed to come for this shift. And now spirit is calling in our tickets and saying, okay, you agreed to come and help. We need you to step up. And would we fully step up if we didn't have narcissist or that polarity to kind of nudge us and say, this hits my moral compass and I need to surpass that so that I can actually do what I came onto the planet to do. Yeah, that makes sense, Denise. You know, like if we're a free will planet and we have polarity, there has to be options. We have to be able to choose. Right. 
right? We have, to, we have to have things to choose from. I love about what you're saying is it is all about growth and evolution and frequencies. And we come to do what we came here to do, but we're also coming together with a lot of readings that are coming up. People are being nudged. They're being encouraged. They're being, there's so many catalysts happening right now to say, okay, you're fine the way you are. Just be that and step up. And I think your book is an excellent, excellent example of this, is giving people the tools they need to say, I'm okay, and I can do this. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. You're do welcome. you guys get this feeling that energy vampires are being unmasked right now? I just get this feeling that as a collective, we're suddenly starting to recognize them and discover these tools, thanks to books like yours, Lisa, to fight them off. And it's almost like we're taking their weapons away just by recognizing them for who they are. I think so, for sure. I love that you said that. And it's sort of coming into our consciousness now. It's They've always been there. And just like empaths have always been there. But now there's it's in the vocabulary. And there's been all that work on you narcissist, narcissistic abuse recovery, which, by the way, if you've been run over by a predatory energy vampire, I think it's super, super, super important to get help. People need extra healing or special kinds of healing. And there's a lot of very fantastic YouTube channels and writers and speakers and TED Talks and all kinds of things about how to recover from narcissistic abuse if you've if that's happened to you. And there are books about psychopaths. There are conversations that sort of like the revealing uh, um, the Me Too movements and, you know, police, you know, Black Lives Matter and police brutality and all these kinds of unveiling like uh, let's really stop and look at the dynamics that have always been present here um, so we can make choices about whether we want to do it or not <laughs> how we want to be around it as a collective and not just sort of uncon unconsciously run those programs like they've been going for so long and I, I do think it's it's like what Denise was saying that this time this is a time when incredible quantum leap healing can happen individually I see this in my clients things that would have taken like five years of therapy you know, years and years ago happened in a few sessions, in a few weeks, and we can quantum leap individually and collectively, which I think is an exciting part of the time we're living in right now. I agree. Now you talk about in your book, when to cut your losses. Many of us who have studied narcissists, we've heard that phrase, no contact. Can you give some listeners some suggestions for how to navigate this difficult decision? Like if kids are involved or you can't leave a negative job situation because you need the money. How do you know when to cut your losses and when to just grin and bear it? There is an edge there, like a fine line. It's an, it's a great question. Um, it's something that we all need to think about. And it's really, I mean, it's so easy to say, like, just walk away. But what if it's a family member? Like you said, a parent, a child. What if it's a boss and you need the job? I think that there's a line when it, things come into abuse that we have to cut our losses. You have to leave. You know, if you're suffering from physical or emotional abuse, somebody's really raging at you or, you know, putting you down, threatening you, if you feel unsafe in any way, that would be where you've got to throw down hard, where you've got to create a very solid boundary, like a, a line that can't be crossed. And I also think if that's going on, those, those are probably the circumstances where you need help. You need counseling, you need a support group, you need an advocacy group, because there's just this place where bad behavior becomes abuse. That's where we need to draw the line. Yeah, I think that physical abuse is definitely a game changer and you just have to walk away. I think emotional abuse is harder because narcissist energy vampires are so effective yeah. at 
not always being mean and cruel. Sometimes they're passive aggressively mean. Sometimes they're gaslighting you. Sometimes they're praising you and putting you up on a pedestal and then boom, they knock it down. And that has such a dizzying impact and effect on anyone, especially an empath, where it can make them second guess themselves and say, Mm -hmm. is this really abuse or were they just having a bad day? Yeah, I know. And I I found myself in a relationship like that several years ago um, after I got went through a divorce and I was kind of, you know, feeling pretty jacked up and I got into kind of a rebound relationship post-divorce and found myself in that same situation. It was, it was hard because here I am a psychic, here I am like, you know, like studied psychology, went been a therapist and energy worker for like, I don't know, 25 years. And I found myself in that same position. Like, how did I not see this coming? How did I, how did they fool me? How did I get here? You know? And it was interesting because I was sitting around right around the time where I was figuring it out. I went to this, was speaking at a gathering for professional women. It was like a pretty high level, like women CEOs. And then there were like 50 of us in a room, 50 of them in a room. We were having lunch. I posed a question to the whole group, like just out of curiosity, who here has been in an abusive relationship, has been in a domestic abuse situation, has been run over by a narcissist. And not almost every, all of them raised their hands. And I, I was shocked. We were all like looking around like, whoa, you know, is this like this some unspoken, unknown about underreported secret that should be discussed? And and I think in so many ways it is. Um, and, and I do think to answer your question, um, Samantha, that that's where if you're not sure to get support from a counselor to have be in a support group for narcissistic abuse recovery, because it's a lot easier to see it from the outside. You know, your friends, your friends are going to tell you, this isn't cool. Or your counselor is going to be like, you know, this is not all right. And because the narcissists, energy vampires are so psychic, they just know, and they're so shapeshifty. When they feel you pulling away, they'll shapeshift back into the person that you think they are. They love bomb you, you know, they gaslight you. They do what they can to put their re-hook you, put their hooks back in. I also think from an energy medicine perspective, like because I'm an energy medicine practitioner, at some point you have to, it's super helpful if you go to a Reiki practitioner or a healer and have them literally remove the energy cords from you because they can establish very strong psychic connections with us. They can become like dream stalkers, show up in your dreams or actually show up in your life as stalkers. And they, they learn how to track you energetically, which can feel good until it doesn't, <laughs> you know, you're like, oh, they know where I'm at. And they either, you know, they're tuned into me until all of a sudden it, it's used against you. There's a lot of energetic enmeshment that happens in these relationships. And <clears throat> sometimes to really heal them, I find when I pull the cords out of people and it can be complicated and take a few sessions and, and be like real and require like really intense psychic surgery to remove them. Then suddenly that the person who's recovering from that relationship can heal you know, and I think part of it is when you're with your example of the room full of CEOs and powerful people, more often than not in these situations between an empath and, and maybe an abusive a narcissist or control freak or whatever we want to put that label on, it is strong, powerful people that fall into that, which makes it even harder mm-hmm. because they're not the stereotype you would expect to have that happen to. Right. And, and as empaths or sensitives or psychics, it's like, why the hell didn't I see that coming? Yeah. I should have seen that coming. But I think we also 
one of the things that we don't ever really give credence to as empaths is we kick ass at, at seeing the potential in people. Yes. We, we see their light. We see their light when they may not. And I think that can be to our detriment, but it also gives us, it's who we are. And, and so it's kind of that double-edged sword. I heard this years ago and I was, they were talking about how you have to be cautious if you're an empath with physical relationships, because if you have that level of connection with someone, it almost sends out a homing beacon energetically. And to be aware of that when you choose to be physical in any degree with people, especially as a highly sensitive empathic person. So what I love though is, you know, we're learning as we go. Absolutely, Denise. And thank you for bringing that up because I did write a whole chapter about that in my book empaths in love and empaths with sex because and I haven't really heard too many people talking about empaths in sexual relationships um, but it, it is incredibly important because our talk about exchanging energy with other people mm-hmm. that's the place where it happens the most you know where we really swap energy we're literally inside each other's bodies in all different kinds of ways and mingling our energy fields people will put like you said a tracker in you if you have sex even one time in a sexual encounter especially an, an energy vampire or predatory person can put these energetic cords in you we have to really care for ourselves deeply i think empaths i'm not going to make a huge generalization here because i know everyone's different but Part of having safe sex is keeping your heart safe. And maybe empaths like casual relationships um, don't often really work for empaths or can be very damaging to us in a way. We we often need to have that strong emotional connection with people and can be very heartbroken when that's not there. So we do need to like really practice incredibly strong like clearing you know when you've been after you've been with somebody to clear your energy deeply to reset your shield to be mindful and loving of ourself when we choose our partners so when you choose somebody who loves you and respects you it's like bliss it's heaven it's ecstasy and when you choose somebody who uses you disrespects you doesn't care about you and and drains your energy it's like an epic train wreck that's gonna hurt you so we have to be careful here really mindful and the vulnerability spiritually of having even a heart connection with someone. I think a lot of the work we're doing in this transition right now is we're releasing past. There's been a lot of people having issues with old memories, old loop tapes, old behaviors coming back. It's almost like that last hurrah of, okay, are we really putting this to rest so we can move forward into this new energy? I was thinking about why are these people popping in? Does that mean that I haven't done my work or is it that they're sending that cord back to try to reattach? And I think that's something to really consider in all of this is it's not always your cord to cut. It could be someone coming like from the other direction and reactivating that connection with you. Yeah. You know, I think that's right. And I think we have a huge opportunity. There's so so much potential right now for healing. And I often like wonder, is it karmic healing? Do you have a karmic relationship with that person that needs to heal? Or is it not that person in particular, but maybe they're a a representative, like the energy vampire you have in your life um, that feels really like a soulmate, maybe a soulmate, or they may just be holding the the place for that. You know, it's that type of person you're working through your karmic issues with. And I see people doing incredibly deep levels of, of karmic healing 
from wounds from past life or healing deep patterns from their childhood. And it's super painful when that stuff comes up. It's like really, I think, feels like you're turning yourself inside out, coughing up some like, you know, major issues. And there's this like miracle potential for miracle healings where we can kind of wipe this slate clean. I've never seen anything like it in all the years that I've been doing healing work. I think there's a huge opportunity. There is a big opportunity and it can feel, at least for me, in the beginning of that healing process, it can feel overwhelming. Yeah, Like you're going to fall into this abyss and never get out when you actually say, okay, I'm going to face, you know, years of childhood painful memories or months or years of this difficult emotional relationship or this series of difficult bosses, it can feel very, very overwhelming, but it's so important to dive in and do the work because if we don't, we're just going to repeat that pattern. And that energy vampire is going to show up in so many different people and ways over and over and over again. So, you know, you have a choice of either facing it or meeting it in different guises. Yeah, totally. I mean, I I think like, unless you wanted to go live in a a hut by yourself somewhere, you know, because there's so many of them and because we're, we're just sort of polarized in, you know, attracted to each other in that way that we are with people that are on the opposite end of the spectrum from us. It's, there's always the opportunity to learn. I find like where I'm at right now, not so bothered by it. Like I can see them coming a mile away. I set boundaries early. I'm not um, fooled by their charm very often. And when I know how to have, like my, one of the goals with my book and the work that I do was to help empaths feel empowered in the world. So I love, I love this concept of empowered empaths, you know, and not feel victimized. And so many empaths do. Um, And I totally get it. I've been there too. What I see is empaths get, who don't have the skills they need, get smaller and smaller, choose their life diminishes like, well, I, I'm going to make choices out of fear or choices out of like what I can do, which isn't very much. I don't like to go to the store. Or I can't leave my house or I'm not going to go out because there might be those bad people around, like those difficult energy vampires around. And so there's this diminishing and of your life where you get smaller and smaller in a way. And I, that makes, I have been there and it makes me really sad. It made me sad to feel that way. And it makes me sad to see other people end up there. And I, what I wanted was to give people tools in this book where we could be um, empowered in life to walk through the world with total confidence that we can spot an energy vampire, be like a you know boundary setting ninja and set powerful boundaries that we don't feel bad or guilty about um, that really hold up in tough situations. So we could be fully who we are, fully engaged in the world, walking through the world and being able to contribute in all the ways that we want to without that diminished sense. And I think learning how to deal with energy vampires and and difficult people is one of the most important parts of this. And it's so difficult, but once we do it, there's a huge payoff. Well, I'd love your feedback on this, but I think you can set a boundary and feel bad about it. And I'll give you an example. I'm currently helping my sister take care of my parents in two different households. Mm. So my parents are still married, but my dad is living with my sister. So we're trying to take care of him and take care of my mom. And my mom is I don't know, maybe she trains energy vampires in her spare time. Like she's (laughs) incredibly narcissistic and very, very difficult to deal with. I have set a really firm boundary with her and it's echoing over into my relationship with my sister because she's not really understanding my firm boundary. So I feel very guilty about the boundary I have set with my mother. And yet I am resolute in the fact that I am setting this boundary. 
I will provide you with food and cigarettes and scotch, but that's as far as I'm going. I'm not going to sit in the house and engage with you. And my, the rest of my family is having a hard time with that boundary. However, every time I tune in and connect with my guides, I get the message, keep doing what you're doing. So I think you can set a boundary and still feel a little guilty and bad about it. And yet keep on keeping on. I, I think it's in a way impossible not to feel bad about it, especially when it's your mother. Like when you can get the boundary with your mother, that's like the litmus test. Like you graduate from boundary school when you can do it with your mother. But honestly, I think that's true. But the, that's a real, that's a real challenge. And of course, you're going to have your feelings about it. I don't, you know, and any feeling you have is okay. I'm sure, Samantha, you have a lot of different ways that you know how to process your feelings. So you're going to help yourself out with that feeling and not leave yourself hanging with it. But I, I do think that empaths can have this, I call it the empath trap, which is where we set a boundary and then the person on the other end of it doesn't like that. People don't usually like it when we set boundaries, especially if it's new, it's a new boundary. And they'll, they'll have their feelings about it. They might have a little hissy fit. They may be angry. They may be sad. They may try to manipulate. And then until we learn how to sort of really do this skillfully, we're stuck because now we feel our own guilt about it we feel our own guilt and shame about it. And we feel the energetic kickback of their anger and it's too much, right? So I think so many empaths just say yes and give up the boundary because it can't handle feeling their own shame and guilt and the emotional backwash of the other person. And what I like is to learn, and I've had to learn it. It's still really hard for me to let the other person have their feelings and to pull the cords, you know, disconnect, um, and release that energy so I don't have to carry around the backwash of my no and, and allow that other person the space and the time and the freedom to have their feeling about it, but I'm not going to be responsible. I'm not going to be responsible for their feeling or cleaning that up or having to deal with it. They're entitled to it, but I'm not, I'm not taking it on. Once I learned how to do that, I felt much more fearless about setting boundaries than be- dealing with my feeling about it on the other end too brought freedom. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. And I think it is a difficult process and you've got to deal with the reverberation of people being surprised by the boundaries you're setting or hurt or angry. But what I've learned through this process is it helps me to set priorities and what matters in my life is my family, my children. And that's what I have to be energetically filled up for them and for me and for my work. And that's my priority. And I think as long as you keep your priorities in the front of your mind, you won't get sucked down into the drowning, overwhelming feeling of showing up for everyone else. Yeah, that's beautiful. And it reminds me of what you were talking about in the beginning, like sacred selfishness, Mm -hmm. right? you know, that that's your version in your own mind. And I think it's a unique thing, like for your, you and your family and where your family is right at right now, you found your sacred selfishness. Yeah. And it's a process. Mm. Now, one of the topics you cover in energy healing for empaths is what to do if you're the energy vampire. And I found that so fascinating because very few books touch on this very much. How can people recognize this trait in themselves? You know, there's, it's so interesting too. Like I, I, um, I was on coast to coast not too long ago talking about this topic and I got a flood, flood of people responding, emailing me, 
you know, messaging me. They were like, I think I'm an energy vampire. I think I'm a narcissist and I don't know what to do. What do I do about it? <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. And, and they were, they were like, I want to repent. Like I want to change. I don't want to be that way. And I, I was like, wow, I know, I know there's a lot of resources, a lot of books written and courses you can take and healers you can work with that are about teaching empathy. There is the ability to go out and do that. You probably would need counseling or help or class or something. And I, I was so surprised and also, I don't know, like hopeful that I got that response. Um, the other group of people that um, that's part of this conversation are empaths themselves. Because what, how do vampires make other vampires? They find a willing victim, suck the life out of them and to the point where they're dead. And then that, <laughs> then that victim turns into a little baby vampire. That's how little baby vampires get made. And that can happen to empaths too, where we allow ourselves to be drained so much to the point where we are now a vampire. We're now taking energy from other people. And I, I do feel like it's better in a way to think of energy vampirism as a, as a process that anyone can stumble, that anyone can do, you know? And there are situational vampires where any, any one of us, if we're pushed hard enough if we've lost our job, it's in the middle of a pandemic, we're really up against it, we're ill, we have some major, major catastrophes going on in our life um, that where we don't have enough resources, we can't get out of it, and anyone can, we become a vampire. Anyone can fall prey to that. And certainly empaths can too. And sometimes I, I when I teach workshops on this and I have a room full of empaths, I want to hold their, all their hands and say, look, you guys need to look in the mirror and make sure it's not you. And it could be, and that can be a horrifying thing to think about it, but it's, it's true. I don't know. What do you, what do you ladies think about that? Do you see empaths become vampires when they're not sourced enough? Yeah, I have definitely seen that. I have a friend who I would totally qualify as a compassionate, wonderful empath. And yet she'll call me frequently and say, I just need to vent. And then she'll vent for like 30 minutes, which is fine. And I'll listen. And when I try to say, gosh, that's terrible. I wonder if it would help if she'll interject and say, I call to vent, not for you to fix it. Mm. And then I'm like, okay, so I just listen. And then she'll say, well, enough about me. How are you? Oops, I got to go. <laughs> yeah, that seems like the energy vampire that I call the victim vampire. Uh -huh. So I think they're much more common actually than the predatory types. The predatory types are scary. Everyone thinks about them when they think about energy vampires, but these victim vampires are more common. And there's sometimes they're empaths. Sometimes they're there, they can be anybody really. And the thing is they usually have something that's really hard that they have like challenges for real. They have health issues, they have mental health issues, they have physical issues, they have, you know, relationship issues. So I'm not saying they don't have a real problem, but somewhere along the line, they learned, they learned the habit of a pulling of pulling energy out of other people and using their victim story a little bit as currency and a little bit as manipulation. Um, they get, they're getting something out of it. Carolyn Mace wrote a really great book about this called Why People Don't Heal. It's a sh shocking, it's a shocking book if you've never entertained that thought before. But she talks about this concept of woundology and people using their wounds as currency to get whatever they think they can get out of it. The story you told me is the, that you just said is the classic example of that. The person who, who complains, doesn't want to change things, doesn't want to change anything, won't take your advice, is the same complaint over and over again. Um, and there, there's some kind of enjoyment. It's is weird as that is to say some something they're getting out of that situation that makes them want to linger in there and not actually do the work to change their circumstances. 
Well, I, that's why I think woundology is the perfect phrase for it. Because if you've ever had like a scab and you keep picking at it and so it doesn't heal. Yeah. It's very, very similar. Yes. Denise, have you met empaths who are energy vampires? Yes. And, and you know, as you both were speaking, I was thinking, I wonder if that's part of the process of it, for some, of accepting that, they, like if they've hidden their being an empath or they haven't had anyone to support it or they're trying to navigate those waters, they're working on learned behaviors or what they've always been around and they're trying to break that cycle. I think that's true. I mean, there's, I think sometimes when people first cotton on to the fact that they're an empath, they're looking at all the problems or all the difficulties of it, of how much it's cost them. And that that's when I think people can, can kind of get stuck in the victim side of it. Sometimes it, people just really need to feel special or have their gifts acknowledged right? and their pain acknowledged, which I, I, I think it's a phase that maybe people go through while they're understanding what the cost to them, the real costs to them have been. And then again, my hope is that we move out of that phase, we get the healing work we need, and we move out of that phase to be empowered empaths. To do that, we need to take full responsibility for our, our boundary. No one is ever going to set your boundary for you. No one. Why would they? It's kind of in their best interest for you not to have a very good boundary because they're going to keep getting all your yummy stuff if you don't have a very good boundary. So we need to take full responsibility for it. We cannot expect anyone to set a boundary, nor should we. And and then when we fully own it and take full responsibility in all the ways that we can do that, that's when we, I think, make the jump into feeling, become uh, vampires ourselves into being fully empowered empaths. I read this old Celtic ghost story years ago, and it was about hungry ghosts on the night of Samhain, and they were looking for, you know, people to feed off of energetically. And they go to one house and it's open. The windows are open, the doors are unlocked. They go in, they feed off that family. They go to another house and there's just debris everywhere and it's super chaotic and they love all that energy. So they go there they go to the third house and it's completely clean. It's all tidy. The houses are locked up. The windows are closed and they can't go in. First, when I read it, I thought, is this the origins of the three little pigs? <laughs> but then I thought, this is like a story of energy vampires because if our boundaries aren't all cleaned and tidy and locked up, you know, they're going to come in and take our energy. Or if our boundaries are there, but they're all messy and disorganized and inconsistent, they're going to find a way in. Yes. Um, that's, I never heard that story, but I love it. I do think that it's not just people that can be taking our energy. Sometimes spirits can. And all the years that I've been doing energy work and, and Reiki on people, and I'm sure you, you ladies have seen this too, like where you find attachments on people. They can be dead people who haven't crossed over. Um, they can be non-human attachments and they're all parasitic in nature. When a spirit gets attached to us, they're doing that because they're literally taking our energy. They can't exist on their own. They're, they're like a tick kind of, or, you know, a mosquito. They're on to absorb your life force energy. Sometimes they eat the pain and suffering that that we have. And there's kind of this combination of if you have a lot of unhealed pain and suffering on the inside of you and you have a compromised boundary, like literally the outside edge of your energy field is shredded or compromised in some way, that is the, uh, the kind of people that these entities attachments like to get on. 
right? And as we raise our vibration, as we do our inner healing work, as we establish good boundaries, as we do energy management practices and heal and manage our, literally our energy field, we um, don't, we're not attractive to those kinds of beings anymore. But I think many sensitive people and empaths are, have, have had problems with spiritual energy vampires, like actual spirits, not just human, other humans. Yeah. I've seen that a lot in my work. In fact, I was telling one of my classes just the other week that it's not, yes, there are haunted places and homes, but the majority of what I see are haunted people. Yes, me too. And I don't know, have you read um, Return from Tomorrow by Dr. George Ritchie? No. It's a fascinating, it's a little book. It's, it's the it's the book that inspired Raymond Moody to do his whole near-death experience uh, stuff. But when Dr. George Ritchie, he died for a little while when he was suffering from influenza. And he talks about how he met with what he calls Christ, the Christ energy. And he's taken on a tour of the area right around where he was living, I believe in Virginia. And Christ takes him to a bar and there's all these men pounding down shots and there's all these alcoholic ghosts. Mm. And they're competing with this guy drinks himself into a stupor and passes out. And the two ghosts are competing over who can jump in that body and temporarily get that high. Yes. And then they're walking down the street and there's this man getting ready for work and his deceased mother is attached to him and she's screaming at him. Now he can't consciously hear this, but we know as energy healers, he's hearing this on some level. And she's saying, you forgot your scarf. That wife never gets you the appropriate clothing and you didn't pack a good lunch for work. And she is nagging him to death and you can see his aura and his energy just deplete. It was a terrifying chapter of the book to read, but it made so much sense to me. Me too. And I've seen that kind of stuff all, all, all along the whole time I've been doing energy work, which is over 20 years now. And at addicts in general, always have entities, people that are addicted to alcohol or drugs. And I, I think that sometimes they have other addicts who haven't like the, your addiction may be so strong that you don't cross over when you die and you hang around bars are incredibly haunted like that. And then the other thing is drinking alcohol compromises the outside edge of your energy field. It makes it sort of fuzzy instead of solid. Like, you know, it should be like the membrane of a cell. It makes it more porous, more spongy. So then you have a spongy energy field and you're in a place like that. Yeah. I think People who are in recovery, and I've done this a lot in my work, energy work, is to work with people who are in recovery to de- take the entities off of them. And they're usually nested. Sometimes they're human entities and sometimes they're non-human entities that are on, on those people. Um, when you take them all off, they have a much better success rate at their recovery, which is kind of an interesting thing. But yeah, I, I think for sure. Somebody told me once years and years ago, I worked with a, sh- a shaman when I was really young. I was in my 20s. My, one of my very first teachers is um, when I was doing my psychic training came from a lineage where they say there's a third of the population of the plant of this planet are living people a third are dead people <laughs> and a third are are spirits that are like angels but also negative entities and that that's unusual it's an unusual number of dis- disincarnate beings almost they outweigh out, outnumber us <laughs> us humans and i'm i don't know if that's true but i did i have found it interesting and i've wondered if it is true all these years, you know? Yeah, I wonder that too. We're definitely sharing this earth with other things. 
Yeah. So as we wrap up, let's say that people are listening to this going, well, son of a gun, this is scary. And I can't afford a therapist or an energy healer. What are some things people could do today to start to protect their boundaries energetically? Well, I have on my website, uh, which is lisacampion.com. I have a free four hour video class called energy management for empaths. And if you go there, if you go there and sign up for my newsletter, you'll see a link or you'll see a link for this free gift. It's a lot of the, these things we've been talking about, a lot of the exercises, the information, learning how to ground clear and protect yourself using a meditation. I use a combination of a guided meditation and breathing techniques to people, to help people learn to let go of the energy they've picked up from other people. Because if we're empaths, we're psychic sponges and we need to squeeze the sponge. So we need to learn how to clear all the energy we've absorbed to get rid of it. We need to learn how to fill ourselves, how to replace our lost energy. And we need to learn how to be inside our own personal energy bubbles. So that I think once we have these, this energy management hygiene, this like psychic hygiene, if you will, down, it gives us a leg to stand on sometimes that we can do the more difficult work of boundary setting. So I do have that as a free gift for everybody. I'd love it if you if you would stop by, if you feel like you want to know more about that, because it's just my gifts to people who are struggling right now and will give you the basic foundational stuff you need to feel good right away. You feel instantly better when you do that guided meditation. Well, that's fantastic. And what a great thing to offer for free. So that's lisacampion.com. And we'll put the link to that in our show notes as well and on our Facebook page. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing this new book with us. I really hope everyone checks it out, Energy Healing for Empaths. Thank you so much, Samantha and Denise. It was lovely to be with you ladies again. Thank you so much for sharing your light with all of us and the whole listening community. You're the real deal, sweetie. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, everybody. Please remember, as always, to show up, do great work, and share your light. Take care.